Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from September 26, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder teaches from Galatians chapter 2, where Paul addresses the lie that a healthy church has no conflict. For more information, check out compasscfc.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. That's good, huh? There's joy in the house of the Lord, yeah? Woo! All right. Hello. I'm Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you're with us for the first time, we are in a series where we're going through the book of Galatians, and we're calling it Seven Lies Christians Believe. Seven Lies Christians Believe. The psychologist David Benner puts it like this. The problem isn't so much with the lies we tell, it's the lies we live The problem isn't with the lies we tell, but with the lies we live. And so in the book of Galatians, Paul is helping us build our lives on a foundation of truth. And that is not informational. When Jesus said, I am the truth, that was not just like, oh, now we're right. Now we've got all the right facts. It's closely connected to way and life. The problem is not so much with the lies we tell, but with the lies we live. How do you know if your life is being informed or shaped by a lie? And then what do you do if you learn that your life is being informed and shaped by a lie? I'm so glad you're here. We're going to figure that out together. The lie that we're looking at today, I think, in my humble opinion, in my view from the cheap seats, is potentially one of the most relevant lies that we live in today. It is shaping a lot. And here is that lie. A healthy church doesn't have any conflict. How do you know you go to a healthy church? There's no conflict. What do you do if you go to a church and there's conflict? Well, it's not a healthy church. Get out of there, right? Why? Healthy churches don't have conflict, right? I was meeting with a pastor earlier this week, and I totally George Costanza'd him. You know, like you think of the comeback on the ride home. I actually thought of this one days later. But we're getting together, and he's like, man, it's so bad right now. So bad. I was like, yeah, why, what? And he's like, man, you know, like, I'm talking to people, and I said something. I said something about just unity. And, you know, people just totally misunderstood me, and they went one way with it, and they said I was saying this. I wasn't saying that. It's just, you know, that's happening because it's so bad right now. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the moment, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, later, in another conversation with a friend, I was like, no, wait a minute, whoa. I wonder if my friend... Okay, and if you're watching this, I met with three pastors this week, so you don't know who you are. But um, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if my friend is being shaped and informed by the lie that healthy churches don't have conflict. Now, I'm not trying to, please, 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 don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to minimize his experience. It is hard to be misunderstood. It is, it is painful when you're working really hard to be clear. You're trying to say something, and someone's like, you said this, and I don't like it. And you're like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Okay, I'm not trying to minimize that. But I think we're believing this lie that healthy churches don't have conflict, and it kind of played out in, like, the corona shuffle. 
You know what I'm talking about. The Corona shuffle, where Corona happened. Some people didn't like the way their churches responded, so they went to another church, and that church got it right. And we all just kind of whoop and played musical chairs with churches, okay? That's what he's talking about. Like, again, I meet with lots of pastors, and we're all saying the same thing. Like, yeah, it was super hard. Everyone just kind of whoop, whoop, you know? And so, but part of my concern is what's shaping that shuffle is that we have this belief buried deep down that healthy churches don't have conflict. Today, I'm wondering if we can readjust our perspective on that. Are we open to another perspective? Now, before we get going, I just want to warn you, I am not a psychopath. (laughs) Nervous laughter says you're with me. Um... (laughs) There used to be like a a clinical psychologist who went to our church and we were talking about psychopaths and I don't know why, I was like, am I a psychopath? And she started laughing, so that's a good sign, okay? So I don't think I'm a psychopath, and why do I say that? I don't like conflict, all right? That's why it's called conflict. If you like it, it's not conflict. Conflict is a disruption. We're trying to walk over here and someone's tugging us over here. We're being misunderstood. It's painful, it hurts. And what we're trying to do, what we want to do instinctively is we want to stop the hurting, H-U-R-T-I-N-G. That was a slow joke for some of you folks. Don't worry, it might keep popping up. You don't know. But we want to stop the hurting. And there's, we have two approaches that we take when it comes to conflict and how we stop the hurting. The first one is passivity, right? You ever gone to someone's house and snooped? It's not just me. I said that in the first service, and someone's like, well, you are never coming to my house. <laughs> but you know, like, you go to someone's house, and you just, like, peek in rooms, you know? Come on. It's not just me. All right, good. I see. I know you're embarrassed, but you all do it, okay? Uh, so we, you know, we go to people's houses, and we open doors, right? And so, you know, you ever, you open a door, and there's something that you shouldn't have seen, right? You're like, ooh, poof, right? <laughs> That's how some of us handle conflict. We're like, you know, we're just hanging out with someone. We're talking. Something pops up. Nope. Not my job. We could call that passivity. Let's call that passivity, right? When conflict arises, let's not deal with it. Let's close the door and move away. That's one way to handle conflict. There's another way to handle conflict, and that would be, we'll just call it aggression. All right? So someone gets mad at us. So So someone misunderstands us. They come to us with a concern, and we just go off on them. And we may even shame them. The reason you think that is you're a terrible listener, right? And you know what? I don't have any problems here. You're the problem. We start blaming, right? So we get aggressive. Here's what I want to just get curious about with us this morning is I, I'm starting to believe. I'm starting to believe that both of, those, both of those responses, both being passive and being aggressive, probably being passive-aggressive also, are all connected to the same root, fear. When we slam the door on conflict, we know, we're like, ah, this is scary, can't handle it. Sure hope someone comes along who that's their gifting, conflict. With the anger, that's also, I think, I'm starting to get more and more convinced that, connected to fear. We feel threatened, and instead of allowing ourselves to feel threatened, oh man, maybe I may not look like I have all the answers, maybe I may not look like I know what's going on, I'm going to get mad, and I'm going to make this about the other person. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul helps us navigate conflict 
without doing either of those. And he models for us what healthy conflict looks like. And so he's helping us get away from peace faking to get toward peacemaking. Because if, if healthy churches don't have conflict, when conflict arises, we got to get rid of it as fast as we can. What if that's not true? And what if it's not true that things aren't really that bad right now? Hang on. Hang on. I'm not like a glasses always half full type of person, okay? But do you really think that whenever corona is over, be it 2023, 28, whatever, uh, that all of a sudden we're going to like sail off into a conflict-free utopia? Ain't nobody going to get mad at each other. This is just corona. What if what's happening is corona accelerated some realities and it brought them to the surface, and that's okay? It's not a sign of unhealth in us. It may actually be a sign of health. We're moving in a direction that's right, and some people don't like that, and it creates conflict. That can't, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, like, I, I wasn't just trying to say, I'm nailing it, and if you don't like it, you're, that's, no, no, no. But conflict, though, if we deeply believe that conflict is a sign of unhealth, we're going to try to avoid it at all costs. What if, though, what if difficult conversations were a necessary part of maturity? What if difficult conversations, they're called difficult for a reason, they're hard, but what if that was a necessary part of our maturity? And what if we don't just try to make conflict go away? What if we learn to manage it in a way that roots truth deeper into our bones? That actually helps us connect more deeply to this truth that Christ lives in us. What if conflict was a way to experience that? What if conflict is not just a necessary part of life? What if it could be a healthy part of life. Hang on now. Remember, I said I'm not a psychopath, all right? Sans Forgetica. Uh, this is a font called Sans Forgetica. It was uh, kind of developed by a team in Australia. The team was made up of educators, so there were teachers on this team, there were artists on this team, and there, were also, there was also a psychologist. Sans Forgetica uh, came about because, remember when you were in your 20s and you're like, I'm going to read Faulkner. And I'm going to read all the classics. Remember, remember that season we all went through? We just sat outside and read Catcher in the Rye? No? All right. Well, how much of those books do you actually remember? All right. How many headlines did you read yesterday? How many tweets did you see? And how much of that do you remember? Very little. So this team came up with Sans Forgetica. This is a real font. And you'll notice that there's gaps in the letters. So uh, that S right there has some ink that looks like ink is missing. And so you can tell it's an S. But because that ink is missing in strategic places, you've got to do a little bit of work to recognize that it's an S. You'll also, the astute folks among us will notice that it's uh, leaning up to the left a little bit. And so that's a disruption in our reading. It's kind of like the logic behind it is flashcards. Okay, if I were to just say, what's the capital of Montana? Anybody? Montana. Man, this is, all right. What's the capital of Florida? Alabama. All right, wait, okay. I just got to stump you guys. Everybody gets this one wrong. Washington. What's Washington's capital? 
No, it's Salem. Ha! Okay. Now, did you feel that? Did you feel what was happening in that little, in that little, wait, did I get it wrong? It's, oh, oh, Salem's Oregon. Ah, see? All right, I'll make it about me. I'll make it about me. All right? The stress of not knowing, now I'm never going to forget Washington's capital or Oregon's capital, rather than if I just read it. Right? If I just read, Salem is the capital of Oregon. Olympia is the capital of Washington. See, from all the chatter, I'm like not going to forget it, right? All right? But if, so flashcards are a disruption. They create tension. When we don't know, we've got to figure it out. It psychologically does something to us. That's what Sans Forgetica is trying to do. It's trying to create tension, a disruption. We can say conflict, right? So that we remember. Now, this is really important. The uh, creators of this font go on to say, if you try to read a book in Sans Forgetica, it is migraine-inducing. We're not supposed to live in the disruption. We're not supposed to set up our tent in the conflict. Conflict is a part of life. When we make all of our lives about conflict, that's something else for another sermon another time. But when we try to avoid conflict, here's the thing. You know, I've not been alive super, super long. But in my short pilgrimage here, I have observed conflict rarely, if ever, goes away on its own. Conflict rarely, if ever, goes away on its own. And if we want to stop the hurting, H-U-R-T-I-N-G, we need to not avoid conflict or try to squash conflict. We need to learn how to manage it in healthy, life-giving ways. Enter Galatians 2. Paul is in conflict. And he is modeling for us healthy ways to navigate conflict. He starts out by addressing, he goes to Jerusalem. If you remember, Jerusalem came to, the representatives from Jerusalem come to Galatia. And they're like, Paul is like crazy. He's a wild substitute teacher. And he says, hey, I don't need anybody's approval, but I know, I know Christ lives in me. I know what he's called me to do. I'm living that out. Now, though, he... Changes his tune a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. Where he goes to Jerusalem and says, he meets with the leaders in private and says, is there anything I'm missing? I, I receive correction. Have I run in vain? What's he doing? He's not, saying, he's not going to them for their validation. He doesn't need their validation. Because he believes the message he believes so much, because he believes that he's united to Jesus. So remember, like a tree, a branch can be grafted into a tree. He's saying, I've been grafted into Christ. The thing that makes a tree alive is now making the branch alive. Christ's life-giving energy is in me. I trust that so much, I can enter into conflict with open hands and say, where do I need correction? I am not accepted and loved by God because of what you think of me. So I can hear what you think of me. It's the first part of the chapter. And that protects us from an aggressive response. An aggressive response. Aggression is afraid and says, I can't hear what you have to say about me. I got to just squash this. I'm going to make it about you. But he also protects us from a passive response when he shares the conflict that he had with Peter and how he shared what was really going on in a really direct way with Peter. Seeking unity involves an awareness of conflict. We do our best to navigate conflict, but we don't avoid it. And Paul models that. He heads right into conflict, and it's all rooted in the cross. 
The cross of Jesus makes it possible for us to enter into these tough spaces. Because we are not loved and accepted and safe and valued by God because we nail conflict. Because others think we're doing it right. And when they voice questions or concerns that doesn't threaten our union with Christ. And the beautiful thing is that when we actually step into conflict with Jesus... And he's still with us on the other side. That truth works its way deeper into our bones. It's like sans forgetica. It's like Oregon and Washington. We experience it so we know it on a deeper level. So we're going to read all of Galatians chapter 2 today. Now, the average attention span is eight seconds. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Here's what we're going to do. Just... Like, we're going to try, all right? I don't know if this is going to work. We're gonna just going to try something, all right? You're going to read one of the verses corporately together out loud, and I'm not going to tell you which one, all right? Now, again, we're not trying to shame people. We're not trying to, you know, but you don't want to be the one, ah, you know, coming in late, all right? So I'm not going to tell you which one, but here's what we're going to do. You're going to just read it, and you'll read it together. So I'll, I'll be reading... And then there'll be a pause, and there'll be a verse on the screen, and then you guys will all read it together, and then we'll keep on going, okay? Is everyone clear as mud? We doing all right? All right. So you don't have to stand, because it's really hard to, you know, walk and chew gum and all that. We'll just keep it simple this morning. and, And again, you're not loved and accepted because you read this well, okay? There's no, none of that, no performance stuff going on here, just trying to... Keep you on your toes, all right? No heart attacks this morning, all right? It'll be fine, all right? This may not even work. Let's try it, though, okay? This is Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. A healthy church doesn't have any conflict. Here we go. Then after 14 years, how long? 14 years. Yeah, a long time. I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not run my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ. Just a, just a comment there because we won't get back to it. It's just a, it's a subtle thing, but it's awesome. If you spy on somebody, it's because they're notorious for something, right? So if you're a chicken restaurant and you spy on KFC, you're trying to get like, their secret recipe, it's because they're notorious for delicious chicken. I don't know why I picked KFC, but you get it. These people were spying on this church because they were notorious for freedom, right? That's amazing. That's all. All right. Uh, And to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary... 
they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the, to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles... And they to the circumcised. Here we go. Ready? All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. All right. What had Paul been eager to do all along? Okay, so remembering the poor is clutch. All right? We'll talk about that later. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ." So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? No way. Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Then the mantra of the Christian faith, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, I pray, I pray this morning that your spirit would move in us to help us navigate conflict, not to avoid it, not to run from it, but God, I pray that we would be rested, that we would sink into our identity as united with Christ, that we are loved and accepted not by our obedience, not by what others think of us, but by Jesus. God, I pray that you would do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul dealt with conflict not by being passive and not by being aggressive, but in a healthy way because he was super confident of his union with Jesus. Now, we've talked about this before, but Paul is tricky to read. All right, and again, that's not just me saying that. Peter said that years after this. All right, Paul is tricky to understand because, again, 
We are modern and Western. He was ancient and Eastern. We don't like, by nature, Christopher Nolan movies, all right? It's like, bro, just tell a story in order, all right? Just A to B to C. Don't start with R, all right? And I got to watch it 30 times to figure out why this guy has tattoos all over his body, all right? Dude, just, like, just move forward, all right? That's how we like, that's how we like our facts to be, all right? Like, that's part of the reason. We like, we go verse by verse to the Bible because we, again, I'm not knocking that. We're doing that. But, like, we, we can sometimes in error think, Verse 1 is a totally complete thought, and you can totally understand verse 1 as a complete thought. Once you've understood it as a complete thought, move on to verse 2. Then comes Paul. That's not how he rolls, okay? The heart of what he's saying through this letter, he doesn't even get to till chapter 5, all right? We're building toward it. We haven't even really hit at the heart of this letter, all right? So here's what's happening. Paul is talking about, and he's helping the church in Galatia navigate conflict, the conflict that these Judaizers brought to their door. And he's showing, hey, here's how I navigated conflict. And he shows them what's underneath it all. What's underneath it all is a guy who had the ability to navigate conflict not because of his own abilities, not because he kept Torah, which in last chapter he did. All right? He's saying, I have the ability to navigate conflict because I understand where my power to navigate conflict comes from. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I'm not alive anymore. Jesus is living his life through my life. That's a gnarly truth. It will hurt your head. You are alive, all right? And Jesus is alive, all right? And at the same time, you are dead, all right? Wait, what? When you trusted Jesus, the you that is you died with Jesus. And then when Jesus rose, his resurrection life molded with yours. We call that unity, un union. You are united. The word union and united have the word uni in front of it, which is one, like a unicycle. It has one wheel. People ride them for some reason, all right? You and Jesus are one if you trust Jesus. Now, that's after what he said about the conflict, but he's trying to show us this fueled how I was able to navigate conflict. And we got to talk a little bit about how letters were written in the Roman Empire, all right? There's a way to write letters in the Roman Empire. It's called an apologia, all right? And Paul writes an apologia. Here's how you write an apologia. First, you start off by saying you find some common ground. Hey, here's something we agree on. And then after you've established, like, we're friends, right? Like, we both think the Cardinals are going to lose game one of the wild card series. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> all right? We both really understand that. All right? Now that we understand that, can we talk about how... The royals are a joke, right? See, see what we did there? We, we, we got common ground here. Nothing unites like a common enemy, right? We got common ground. Then we can talk about the bad things, okay? That's exactly what Paul does starting in verse 15. Listen to what he says in verse 15. He's telling the Galatian church what he says to Peter. He says this, 
In Galatians 2.15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Here's what he's saying. Peter, you and I, we have the same ethnic background. We know this truth very deeply. We're not justified by works of the law. What does that mean? Works of the law means, he's talking about being justified, winning God's favor by a merit amassing observation of Torah. Meaning, if I obey the Bible, if I live this thing out, God will give me favor. He's saying, we know that's not true. And then he goes, so he establishes with Peter some common ground. Peter, we, we've had the Bible for a long time. These Galatians, they're new to this whole thing. You and I, we get this, right, bro? Okay. Now can I tell you something you're not getting, all right? You're living as though Christ doesn't really live in you. So he's using best practices of his culture. He's using best practices to navigate conflict as someone who's deeply united with Jesus. And he's trying to model that for us. So how does he, how does he navigate conflict? Well, first, he navigates conflict by listening and submitting. A way that we navigate conflict, that we don't just slam the door when we're snooping around in someone else's life and we see conflict. We don't just slam the door and we don't just respond angrily. How do we do that? By listening and submitting. Look with me in Galatians 2 verse 2. He says, or listen to 2.1. After how many years? Who was president 14 years ago? This is a long time ago. You guys don't even know. Like, right? 14 years ago is a long time ago. Why do I bring that up? Why does Paul bring that up? Because he's like, hey, I'm in no rush to get to Jerusalem. I know who I am. I know God, who God has called me to be. So I let 14 years go by before I went up there. So he's not saying I went up there to check my message. What he is saying is he's going up there to pursue unity. He's like, if I'm united to Jesus... And the church in Jerusalem is united to Jesus. I can't live out my freedom like they don't matter. I have to pursue unity so that we're all on mission together. We can't just ignore each other. We're united to Jesus. They're united to Jesus. We ought to be pursuing unity. But there was some questions. So he's modeling, let's go get those questions answered. So look with me in verse 2. Now, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Uh, you know Malcolm Gladwell? He's fantastic. Love Malcolm Gladwell. He, he, his most famous contribution is that whole idea of 10,000 hours, right? That it takes 10,000 hours of doing something to become an expert in it, okay? So Paul, by saying, hey, I got 14 years here, is saying, I have... I'm an, I know what I'm doing. I've got my 10,000 hours in. All right, I blew by it, okay? Now, he, and there's conflict. The Jerusalem church is like, what's this guy up to, right? Here's what he does not do when he goes to the Jerusalem church. Hey, where have you been for the past 14 years? You heard about Antioch? Yo, do you know where the term Christian came from? It came from Antioch. You know whose HQ is in Antioch? Me and Barnabas. All right, bro, knock it off. Leave me alone. You're just panicky. He doesn't justify himself. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't blame. What does he do? It's nuts. 
I went in response to Revelation, met privately, it's not trying to stir anything up, met privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running in vain. Here's what he's doing. He's going to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and he's saying, do I need to receive correction? Where am I missing it? The scariest question you can ask someone, how are you experiencing me? If our love, acceptance, worth, and security comes because other people think we're nailing it, don't ask that question. Because when you ask someone, how are you experiencing me? They'll be nice. And then when you press them, say, no, no, I, I really would like to know. They'll let you know. It's a scary question. And that's what Paul does. He does it because he's a human being. See, we flatten the characters of the Bible. Like, Man, it sure must have been easy to be Paul. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then, you know what happened, though? He talks about in Galatians, nothing. He meets Jesus, he gets a revelation, and then he has to walk by faith. And he's saying, I'm a person. I don't have all the answers. Yes, I'm deeply confident in my union with Jesus. And I can still, at the same time, say, I don't know. There are things I don't have all sorted out. A fear of saying, I don't know, is rooted in a lack of our understanding of our union with Jesus. Free people can say, I don't know. But if we have to prove our worth, I don't know, it becomes dangerous. Paul is showing us, hey, my security, my love, my acceptance is not found even in the Jerusalem church's understanding of me. So I'm free to be able to receive correction. That protects us against being aggressive. Aggression says vulnerability is going to kill us. So we can't show weakness. We can't be vulnerable. If people see us being vulnerable, that's it. It's going to kill this relationship. Paul models for the Galatian church vulnerability. Why? Because he understands Christ lives in me. He's in there with me. Jesus is stepping into that conflict with me. I can be vulnerable because I'm not alone. I don't have to stir up my own, yeah, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. I matter. You know, uh, I, get, I subscribe to like some paper magazines because I think I'll read them versus just looking at them online. And what happens is I just have piles of paper magazines at my house. Um, but there was an ad, I think it was in Wired, the other day, uh, I was looking at it, and it, had, it was an ad for MailChimp. Do you guys know what MailChimp is? It's like a service you can use to email for your business. You can email your customers. And I'm not trying to knock MailChimp. It's awesome. But it was a weird ad. It said, MailChimp, get your message out, right? Yeah, that makes sense. You're an email service. Got it. And then it said, uh, let people know what you're about. Uh, yep, still with you. And then it said, be confident. It's like, what? <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? I think what they're getting at is that we all are not confident people. We may act like it, but sometimes bravado is really just a cover for a deep lack of confidence. We don't have to be confident because of Galatians 2.20. 
We don't need to have confidence. That God, that's dead. That's the old man that died on the cross with Christ. We can have confidence because we are loved and accepted by God because Christ lives in us. How does God introduce Jesus to the world? Remember, he's getting baptized in the Jordan. The heavens split open and a voice from heaven says, this is my son. I'm crazy about him. That person lives in you and me. And that's why we can ask people, how do you experience me? I think I'm being pretty humble, am I not? Tell me what you've experienced about me. Where's the correction I need? The answer to aggression is not trying harder. See, the heart of healthy relationship, the heart of a healthy church is not that it's conflict-free. The heart of healthy churches is that we tell the truth. Healthy churches tell the truth. If conflict is a sign of unhealthy churches, truth kills our health. Because telling the truth might create conflict. But if Jesus is with us in the conflict, it still hurts. Again, I'm not a psychopath. You're not psychopaths. No one is asking, like, please, how do I get more pain and difficult things in my life? Sign me up for two, please. No. But truth helps living in the truth, experiencing, hey, tell me the truth. And being with Jesus in that experience helps us experience, not just know, but experience our union with Jesus. You really aren't alone. God is still pleased with you, even if no one else gets it. And that's how we stop the hurting, H-U-R-T-I-N-G. Look, the problem in Galatia that Paul was getting at is that these people were free, they loved their freedom, and they went a little too far with freedom. And so some people came in and said, you know what the answer to this is? Law. You need to obey. You need to try harder. You know, you know this grace thing is nice, but we need more law. That's also built on a lie. Here's the lie there. The lie there is that the opposite of law is grace. The opposite of law is not grace. The opposite of law is lawlessness. Here's what Paul's saying. We are free. Christ really does live in us. But you can't just go bumping into people. The opposite of law is not great. Hey, I'm saved by grace. I don't have to navigate conflict well at all. Jesus loves me. I'm loved and accepted. Who cares what other people think? No, he's showing us we can work hard to enter into conflict. He's showing us that we don't have to, nothing's at stake, so we don't have to be aggressive. But he's also protecting us there from something else. He's protecting us from being passive. And that starts in verse 11. Remember, he's modeling, he's modeling apologia. He's modeling dealing with using best practices to deal with conflict. Using the best practices in the Roman Empire to deal with conflict. And so in verses 11 through 14, he deals with conflict with Peter by establishing healthy boundaries. So how do we deal with conflict? We don't avoid it. We listen and we receive correction and we also establish healthy boundaries. Here was the conflict with Peter in verses 11 through 14. Peter had a vision in Acts 11 that he can now eat with Gentiles. Say, hey, we're going to go save the world, all right? Go, go eat with Gentiles, all right? And he's like, fantastic, all right, great. And so he 
He has table fellowship with Gentiles. In that culture, eating with someone was a wholehearted embrace and welcoming of them. It was different than just having someone over right now. You have your boss over because you want a promotion. That's not how dinners worked in the first century. All right? Peter, though, he saw this delegation coming from Jerusalem, and he knew they weren't cool with it. And so he stopped doing that. He withdrew from table fellowship with Gentiles. All right, this is why this is a big deal. Peter's like, I'm united with Jesus, you're united with Jesus. Ooh, we can't have union because these people might not like it. That's what's at stake here when we don't enter into conflict. Remember, unity comes at being aware, growing levels of awareness of conflict, all right? Peter, remember, he's a big deal. He was one of not just the 12 disciples, but like a three of an inner circle. He's kind of famous. So his withdrawal influences other people, including Barnabas. You remember, Barnabas was like Paul's BFF. They were Hall and Oates, okay? Hall and Oates. Who wasn't called Hall and Oates, by the way. It was Daryl Hall and whatever, John Oates, right? And, you know, they're like a unit, right? And then they break up, all right? Because, you know, Barnabas has a conflict. They break up, but in the end, they get back together. Barnabas was the reason Paul got introduced uh, or welcomed in by the early church. They worked together. They started a church in Antioch. They were best buds. Paul can't even convince his best bud. His own best bud gets pulled away by this. It's bad news. So what does Paul do? He hears about it, and he labels Peter's actions as hypocritical. That's a big step, all right? He's not avoiding conflict. He's stepping into conflict, and he openly accuses Peter. Remember, in Jerusalem, he went privately to the leaders. Now he's in public He's shown us two ways to deal with conflict. You can do it behind closed doors in a way that's listening and opening. All right, that helps us avoid aggression. Or you can do it in public. That helps us avoid being passive, being a model to other people. All right, well, what's really going on here, though? Here's what he's doing. Remember, he establishes points of agreement. He affirms, hey, Peter, we got this in common. Remember, we're friends. We're buds, right? Right. Okay, now can we talk about areas that we disagree in and what's really at stake here? He's not going off on Peter, all right? He's not just like being aggressive. He's not shaming Peter. He's stepping into it in a healthy way for his cultural context. How do we step into conflict in a healthy way for our cultural context? Well, there's a skill that I'm learning. It's called empathic listening. This is the best practice that I think can help us not be doormats of like someone comes to us and says, hey, you did this and I didn't like it. And we didn't do that or whatever. And we're just like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm the worst. You're right. As a way to avoid conflict. It's called empathic listening. Here's what it looks like. Person A makes a case. Hey, I didn't like it when blank happened. All right? That's the way to say it. I, here was an experience I had with you. Boom. This happened. Person B listens, then responds. Okay? This part is clutch. If you miss this part, you're going to get aggressive. This part is clutch, though. I hear you saying, and then restate it. Oh, okay, I hear you saying blank. How come this church doesn't have donuts anymore? You know what? It's because we're not hospitable. That's why you don't have donuts. All right, instead of being like, you know what? We're giving that money to missions, which we're not. I don't, I have no idea what's going on with the donuts, okay? So don't. <laughs> we're not. We're giving that money to missions, all right? That's what we're doing. You don't care about missions. No, we're not going to do that. That's not empathic listening, all right? Hey, how come this church doesn't do donuts? Don't you care about being hospitable? I hear you saying hospitality matters. I hear you saying we want to be a place that welcomes people 
and, and, and shows that in ways that actually cost us in tangible ways. And so you're willing to make that investment with donuts. A am I getting that right? It bothers you that we aren't doing it. It's a value of yours that we're missing out on. Am I, so let me restate it, right? Is there more? Did I miss something? All right. And then person A goes, no, yeah, you got it. Okay. May I say something? All right. If we skip these steps, if we just go, hey, I hear you saying... Is this what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Am I getting it? Is there more? If we skip that step and just go, can I say something? I've never liked you. Right? That's just aggressive. All right? But we want to actually hear what they're saying. Open hands. Taking, okay, I hear, this is what I hear you saying. We're not owning their problem. That, we're still staying differentiated, right? Their problem is their problem. They're presenting it to you. You're just becoming aware of it. That's scary, Right? My, my reaction when like, someone makes you aware of their problem can be, oh my gosh, here's how I can solve this. Do not do that. Okay, I know it feels like a good instinct. I'll just jump in to solve it. You may, you may be in a way trying to just squash conflict instead of letting conflict run its full course. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Uh, one of my uh, mentors who's teaching me a lot about how to preach, he told this story. He's preaching in Arizona and his wife like walked in late and she kind of made a noise, right? So it was like a big church, like 800 people. His wife walks in, boof, right? And everybody just like at once turns and looks at his wife. And so he, trying to be funny and like, you know, he goes like, hubba hubba, right? Just stupid, right? Because he's trying to like, you know, relieve the tension and also like, you know, hey, I like that lady, right? And it's his wife, right? Well, here's what happened. The next day, a guy comes into his office. Hey, preacher, I did not like it at all when you said that to your wife. That was dehumanizing. You're teaching my teenage kids to just objectify people. I hate that. You shouldn't do that. That's awful. You're awful. This church is the worst. And, you know, thankfully, my mentor was like, oh, all right, I hear you saying, and sat with him for a while. Well, you know what got released a couple months later? That guy that came into his office that was all upset that he was like hubba hubba about his, the pastor's wife, that guy was having an affair, all right? And what happened was my mentor, being lighthearted and jovial about being attracted to his wife, rattled something in him. Now, if my mentor had gone, I'm so sorry, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, that was totally inappropriate, that was the worst, I'm sorry, which, again, it was just a stupid thing he said. I'm not, I'm not supporting it or saying he shouldn't have said it. It was just something he said. If he had just tried to squash it right away, and that you're right, I'm so sorry, he would have missed the real conflict that was happening there, where someone was being convicted by Jesus about a, a lie they were living. We don't like conflict, but conflict is a necessary part. It's a necessary component on our path toward maturity. And we don't have to be afraid of it. We can live with empathy, and we don't have to jump into the pit with somebody. We can hear them, we can let them know that they were heard, and we can either work, find a way forward then, and we can share what's bothering us. We don't have to run. Conflict is scary, it's hard, but we're not in the conflict alone. These are real people. Uh, the guy, the older gentleman, his name is uh, John Gibson. That's his wife, Christy. And the person on the right is their son, Trey. Uh, we want to be really careful how we talk about John Gibson. He, um, he committed suicide. And suicide has certainly touched many in this room, and it creates a deep wound. It's something that's hard to walk through. And we do, I, please don't misunderstand me. 
We're not offering quick fixes to difficult problems. All right? For many years, John struggled with addiction, sexual addiction, and depression. And uh, something happened to him that just pushed him over the edge. I don't know if you remember, several years ago, there was a, a website called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison uh, was a service that you paid money to, and you could allegedly have affairs with people. So it was like Tinder for married people. You would go on, you'd give them your credit card, and you could have secret affairs with people. Somebody found out that their spouse was using Ashley Madison. And so they hacked it, and they released all the credit card information and all the names of everybody on that website, including... John Gibson. Now, John Gibson, uh, his story is very sad, and it, and it made national headlines. And part of the reason it made national headlines is not just because he's John Gibson, but because he was John Gibson, a pastor and seminary professor. And again, before we judge, we're not judging. This is a person, a real person. Here's what his wife said about him. I mean, at his funeral, you can watch it. It's on YouTube. He was celebrated. He was celebrated. I mean, like they're like, how many people did John come and pick up on the side of the road? He was like a part-time mechanic. Your car broke down. He'd come. He'd help you. I mean, he was just a really loving guy. His wife of 30 years said this. He struggled with addiction and depression. And those were two things that he couldn't, I mean, as much as he was willing to help other people and do for other people, he couldn't conceive that somebody would help him and do it for him in that kind of situation. The shame of this was really just more than he could take. We know he poured his life into other people. He offered grace and mercy and forgiveness to everyone else. But somehow he couldn't extend that to himself. One of the things that happened here was a conflict arose and the lie got lived that man Jesus can't handle this conflict this conflict is too big at his funeral his son was celebrating and legitimately celebrating his father he talked about how his father was a hero of his he dressed like his dad he loved his dad he remembered his dad was a pastor and go around playing with people he would just mimic his behavior he loved being trey john's son he loved his dad and this is what his son said at his eulogy after celebrating his dad he then turned and said this life's race was never designed to be run alone my dad had struggles and he ran alone. The enemy, listen, this is, at his, this is as he's burying his father. Listen to what he says. The enemy says showing vulnerability, transparency, and honesty bring shame, show weakness, and kill relationships. God says those things are the only way that we can walk confidently in who he has created us to be. If I can walk away from this, surrender my pride, allow others to serve me as I want to serve them, and allow my relationships to be filled with truth and honesty, along with encouragement and love, listen to this, the enemy does not win. 
God has already won the ultimate victory, and now we just have to live like that's true. The problem is not the lies we tell. The problem is the lies we live. Conflict is hard, but union with Christ invites us to come out of hiding. There is no conflict that will kill us. There may be consequences. There may be hard moments. There will be tears. But our love, acceptance, worth, and security do not come because we can manage conflict. We can convince others we are fine. The most terrifying thing about entering into conflict is just going first. There are people sitting around you with the same fears and the same doubts that you have. People really knew my conflict. If I really shared how I really felt, it's over. You're not alone in that. Others just haven't gone first. What would it look like to go first? To just share. To say like, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I just want to step out and say, I'm just trusting that Jesus will be with me as I step. We don't know what's on the other side. We don't know. All we know is that we're not stepping out alone. The mantra of the Christian life is Christ lives in me and he really is alive. Father in heaven, I pray these would not just be words we say, but truth we live. Father, would you meet us? God, I know that there are many of us who hide. God, I know many of us feel stuck. Father, many of us are living the lie that healthy churches don't have conflict, and so I can't bring my conflict here. Father, I pray that your truth would overwhelm that lie and that we would be people who respond in truth. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.